All right, there we go. Okay. Um, welcome to our fourth class on the Offices of Instruction. So this is week four of our prayer book catechesis. Um, and we are on page 291 in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, um, about halfway down the page. Um, we just started last week, the second Office of Instruction. So by way of review, uh, last week in the beginning of the second Office of Instruction, we um, kind of talked about foundational issues of the church, of ecclesiology. Uh, so um, talked about being made a member of the church in, bapt in baptism, um, defining the church. We had, and then we talked about the four marks of the church, the uh, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Um, interest, interestingly, um, a question came up uh, in another, in another, in another um, forum as to why in the old prayer books in the Nicene Creed does it not have um, holy in it? Why does it only have, I believe, in one Catholic and apostolic church? And it seems that the main reason for that is, um, is that for whatever reason in some of the early liturgies of, uh, of Alexandria, so the early liturgies of St. Mark, the, um, it was omitted. And then from there, it was omitted in some of the early Latin liturgies. And so its omission in ours is, was a holdover from that. It just takes a really long time to change something as fundamental as the creed, um, even though that would be kind of returning it more to its original Greek text. But that's kind of just a little bit of an aside, FYI, if you ever wondered why in the, in the 1928 prayer book and older prayer books, it doesn't have holy there, even though we do have holy in the Apostles' Creed. Okay, so about halfway down, we talked about that, um, the, the, four, uh, the four marks of the church, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And now we come to the next question, what is your bounden duty as a member of the church? And the answer is, my bounden duty is to follow Christ, to worship God every Sunday in his church, and to work and pray and give for the spread of his kingdom. So this is kind of, you know, the, the basic duties of, of being a member of the church. Um, part of that institutional body is to, um, to follow Christ, worship every Sunday in church, and to work, pray, and give for the spread of his kingdom. Um, so following Christ is, of course, you know, issues of obedience. We're going to obey God's word. Um, we're going to do the things that Jesus told us to do. Um, corporate worship is super important. That's one of the reasons why in the annual meeting um, this past Sunday, uh, even though that was done virtually, uh, yeah, I made sure to emphasize that we all need to decide those that have not been able to come to church because of the COVID pandemic, what is going to be that um, thing that happens that, that, that gets you back into church? Don't get into this habit if you don't come to church. I mean, there are certainly the pandemic, you know, for some folks, it's, it is too risky. And that's why we are doing some things virtually, including classes like this. But um, we need to be together. We need to be worshiping in the church, um, you know, coffee and jammies in a YouTube video are not church as, as, as good as those things are. And it's great that we have the technology to adapt in a way that in previous pandemics we might not have, but um, you know, we need not to make that, that, that cannot become the new normal long-term. And then finally, that third issue of bounded duty to work, pray and give 
for the spread of his kingdom. Um, every church member has has a duty to do those three things. You should be, you know, doing something for the spread of the kingdom. Um, you know, some sort of volunteering your time. Um, you should be um, contributing um, in terms of materially and financially to to the to the mission of the spread of the kingdom, the mission of the church, and of course, prayer, all three of those things are needed. And again, something we did talk about in the annual meeting is that um, that's why in our bylaws, in order to serve on vestry, uh, you do need to be a financial giver of record. Otherwise, um, you, you know, you cannot serve on, on vestry. That's one of the qualifications of vestry. And, it, and, it, and this doesn't really talk about in terms of amounts, because it kind of in a new covenant context, the amount isn't really the issue. I mean, it's it's not legislated in, in, in a new covenant context um, in the same in the way it is in the Old Testament. You know, we would see that those Old Testament laws regarding um, you know the specifics of the of the Old Testament tithe are part of the ceremonial law, not the moral law. However, that ceremonial law does point to a moral um, spiritual concept that is reiterated in the New Testament, which is the principle of generosity of um, of, 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 of giving materially. And as much as that does support the mission of the church, um, the main point there um, in terms of a spiritual discipline is that it's helpful for you as the Christian to be um, someone that, that doesn't hold on to their stuff so tight, um, is generous. And sometimes that really does hurt. Um, and there's all sorts of great testimonies over the years for folks that have given even when it it didn't seem to make sense to do so. <laughs> um, you know, I, I do remember that first year, half six months or so when Heather and I were married, my appraisal business was in the tank. Um, you know, what I was making at All Saints at the time was, um, it, it was it was definitely nice to have, but it wasn't anything that was going to support us, <laughs> you know, as, as the assistant rector at the time. Um, but, you know, the Lord provided anyway, you know, and we made sure to give based on what we had, but the big thing was the Lord provided. I mean, it happened to be that part of our, our wedding gifts, a lot of folks gave us Target gift cards and that kept groceries on the table for the first couple of months. You know, never would have thought that's what that was gonna be for, but that's what it did, you know, the Lord provides. And that's part of what the discipline of giving is, is it teaches us that the Lord provides even when it doesn't make sense to us. Um, even when it's keeping us up at night because we're worrying about it, you know, teaches how the Lord, Lord does indeed provide, does, does help us out even when it doesn't make sense and you know i've heard this from financial guys and um you know i don't i don't really have much to speak of in the way of investments i haven't been very diligent in that but investing guys have said um the way to do it is to start little and just build up until it becomes a habit and the same thing is true when it comes to to your giving to the church um you know historically the tithe has been what what we tend to kind of show as the you know, not, not this is what you have to do, but this is kind of the way the church has historically seen the ought to do for giving. Um, but, you know, that's a big chunk of change if you've never been doing that. <laughs> so kind of building up little by little is, is the way that um, pastorally we usually recommend um, to, to build up that discipline. Okay, um, so bound in duty, this is one of my favorite passages to quote. Uh, because it does really sum up a lot of things. Um, you'll hear me in, in homilies pull from this from time to time. 
but um, then we're going to talk about what the church gives us to help us with you know fulfill our duties. But before we do that, questions on our um, our bounded duty. Okay. Well, then let's get to the next question. What special means does the church provide to help you do all these things? The answer, the church provides the laying on of hands or confirmation, wherein after renewing the promises and vows of my baptism and declaring my loyalty and devotion to Christ as my master, I receive the strengthening gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that, that, that kind of helps us see that our Christian duty, not just what is described in the bounded duty, but kind of our entire Christian life of, um, of, of, of obeying Christ and doing the things that are right um, in, our, in our Christian duties does need to be enabled by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, this, isn't, this isn't about um, building up heroic effort. This isn't a, this isn't a, a um, as my friend Father Chris liked to say, a sola bootstrapsa theology where you're pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. That's not what this is at all. But rather, um, we, we, we do pray for the strengthening gifts of the Holy Spirit and that's that's part of what confirmation is, and which is why we do see confirmation as that adult, um, mature, um, entering into the life of of the church in terms of maturity. Um, it's it's not you know you know you enter into the church by your baptism, but confirmation is kind of that right of right of maturity, right of 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 passing into um, a, a kind of spiritual adulthood. Um, in terms of your church, your church life, um, you know, it's 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 not. Um, there, there's a reason why this tends to happen around the same time as any other kind of um, rite of adulthood happens in traditional cultures. Think, for example, Jewish bar mitzvah. You know, it happens when you're when you're 13 or bat mitzvah for the girls about 13, and it's right around 12, 13, 14 is pretty typical confirmation in the Western church. Um, you know, again, the, the idea there is that there's a there's enough developmental maturity in the person that they can kind of take these vows made on their behalf in the baptism by themselves. And then for those coming into the uh, Anglican tradition from outside of it, you know, in a similar way, confirmation is kind of, okay, this is, this is that, that official you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm joining up, you know, here, you know, it's, it's often tied to membership in, in Anglican circles. Um, in terms of who, who gets confirmed, we, we, we would not confirm those who were already confirmed by a bishop in apostolic succession. So generally what that means is we don't reconfirm um, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, uh, certain kind of Scandinavian Lutheran groups um, as well, other Anglicans or Episcopalians. Um, but we would reconfirm, um, Presbyterians, you know, other, other kinds of Lutherans, that sort of thing. And almost every time we have a confirmation class, there's someone that was confirmed in a Lutheran group and wasn't sure if they had bishops or not <laughs> almost every time. And, and most, most American Lutheran groups don't have bishops, um, not, not in this way anyway, but what we would do for those people is we would still receive them, those that were confirmed by a bishop in apostolic succession. Um, so it's, it's very similar. The right is very similar, but 
we're, we're, we don't reconfirm just like we don't rebaptize. And those are things that don't happen. Uh, questions about that before we, we move on a little bit. Pam. Actually, the question that I had was regarding, you know, we're supposed to, um, to help strengthening the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of times people are not understanding what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. It's not, it's not the fruit of the Spirit, it's the gifts of the Spirit. So I think we just, in the past, I know that I just kind of glossed over that. But now as I've matured, I'm much more aware of it. So that was my thing as we come up to receiving in confirmation, just, you know, to think that that might be distinguishable. Yeah, and there's there's different um, that that's that's a good distinction to be made. Um, yeah, I mean the fruits of the spirit is described in is that's Galatians five if memory serves. Um, yeah, the, the fruits being that those are the results of the spirit in your in your life, right? I mean, so those fruits happen as um, the gifts of the spirit are strengthened and as they grow. Um, there's differing lists in the New Testament of the gifts of the Spirit. And we, we generally look at, when we, in this context, kind of a sacramental context, we, we're usually thinking of the, the seven gifts of the Spirit, which are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. Um, and, and these ones are, basically what happens is there's a lot of crossover um, with some of the gift lists in the in the in the New Testament. Some of those seem to be gifts relating to a particular um, ministry, for example, right? Rather than kind of the general gifts. And so, yeah, these these the seven gifts of the Spirit are are usually what we would be talking about in this context. And again, um, yeah, those those are. Um, Wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. And, and those ones actually do go back to, we see some of them in Isaiah as well. So um, yeah, that, that's what we're talking about here. But yeah, that's a good distinction to make. And then this also, it's also important to note that, um, you know, because this has been, in, in some circles, they teach it as if you are receiving the Holy Spirit at confirmation, you know, almost similar to how in charismatic circles, you get the baptism of the Spirit. Um, well, I mean, no, you, you receive the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian, you know, you become a Christian at your baptism. These, this is the strengthening of those gifts as you mature in the faith. Um, and so, you know, what a large part of the purpose of confirmation in the Western church is because we acknowledge that when we're doing, when we're, when we're bringing our little ones into the faith, there is an immature faith and we need to have some means by which um, they take responsibility, personal responsibility for that faith. And so that's, that's where confirmation comes in, in the Western church. Things are a little bit different in the Eastern church. And I don't, I don't really want to get into that because some of the nuances of that, are, are a, a beyond the scope of this class and b um, you know I don't I don't fully grasp all of the nuances of the way that Eastern Church does it but but in the Western Church it is very much tied to to that issue of spiritual maturity being able to take on 
um, that that responsibility, that Christian responsibility. Uh, Tina. Yeah, the gifts of the Spirit that you're listing. Do you what uh, verses is that from? Oh goodness, let me let me pull this up. Um, like I said, th there's a lot of this is is kind of an amalgamation. Um, but it, it, it looks like Isaiah, yeah, I, I think, I think, you know, one of, one of the big places is Isaiah 11, um, the beginning of Isaiah 11. Um, and, but, but yeah, I mean, there's, there, there's a lot of different gift gifts lists. And so, so th this kind of is, is almost a systematizing of it rather than taking one particular list and applying it. Um, and, and so these, and, and what ends up happening is, um, and this is, this is, again, one of those things that we see very much in the, in the Western church. Um, you know, we, we kind of look, look at different, different virtues, right? I mean, that was a big thing in Western mm -hmm. philosophy, this virtue, you know, kind of virtue lists, building up virtue, and this gets applied um, to to the spiritual gifts. Okay, thing. okay, these gifts of the spirit provide these particular virtues, which are, you know, I, I think like, for example, um, you know, uh, Thomas Aquinas considered these the, uh, um, the, the, you know, relating to the capital virtues, as he called it, you know, and Aquinas, it doesn't matter whether you were a Protestant or a Catholic, Aquinas very much influenced your, your, your theology and your philosophy. So, um, you know, for, for example, but, but yeah, there's, there, and then, you know, I, I believe, you know, Augustine drew on some parallels with the Beatitudes, you know, and I'm, and so there, there's, there's various things on this, but I, I hadn't really prepped um, any more detail on this. So I can, I can come back to that next week, get a little bit clearer of an answer. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants on this one. I, I had a similar question that Tina was asking about that. And, uh, I was wondering, could you repeat those uh, virtues or the gifts? It was I, sure. wisdom, understanding. Uh, yes, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. And when you, you mentioned, I, I thought of the, I thought of that virtue because I've heard those qualities presented as virtues before second right second peter 1 5 it's but also for this very reason giving all diligence add to your faith virtue and then it goes on to ver to virtue knowledge to knowledge self-control to self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness and it goes on right there but that was one of the verses that came to mind there but i i have heard those presented before like as virtues you know but it kind of like you were saying, sort of a general. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. And 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 these are okay. As I'm kind of just just looking a little bit, you know, the, these come from the. Um, I think in the Isaiah passage, it calls them the seven spirits of God. Um, you know, and and Revelation one seems to allude to that as well. But yeah, I'll look into this a bit more and get back to you all next week on talking about the um, yeah the, the the gifts of the spirit in this regard. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I should have, uh, I should have looked into that a little bit more. It, it didn't even occur to me today to do that. So yeah. Yeah. 
Those are the, and those are being the strengthening gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, bottom of 291, um, the question is, the last question on this page is, after you've been confirmed, what great privilege doth our Lord provide for you? And the answer is, our Lord provides the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion for the continual strengthening and refreshing of my soul. So um, you'll notice immediately that, um, you know, non-confirmed people certainly take communion. <laughs> um, you know, this is, this is outside of the prayer book's ethos to do that. I mean, in, in the prayer, strictly the prayer book's um, ethos would be for only confirmed people to receive communion. And this would have been the way it was all throughout all the different branches of Western Christianity until the 20th century, this was the case. So you know, if you were, um, you know, if you were not a confirmed Presbyterian, you would not be taking communion at the Presbyterian church, you know, most of the time, um, you know, everybody was this way. Nowadays, that, that kind of strict um, fencing of the table is usually limited to uh, the Roman Catholics do that, um, although it's widely ignored in American Catholicism. Um, confessional Lutherans do that, but again, it's widely ignored <laughs> in those circles and um, the, the Orthodox do it. I, I think they're better at policing it than anybody in the, in the West is. Um, I, I think that really the ideal would be that, that only those who have been confirmed or as the rubric says, are desirous to be confirmed would be taking communion. But that's, that's just not really the way things have been in, in Anglicanism for about, we're, we're going on 100 years, maybe not 100 years, but definitely more than 50 years, probably closer to 50 years. And that, that is our, our diocesan policy is that, that we, we do permit anybody who's been baptized to receive communion. Regarding children, um, you know, the, again, this is diocesan policy is that, that that's up to kind of the rector and the parents um, together as to whether baptized children can receive communion or not. Um, you know, and, and what we find is that part of, part of what happens with this is that there's a lot more crossover, interdenominational crossover than there used to be. Um, you know, at any given time, at our parish, I would probably say those raised in the Anglican world are a minority um, at our parish, and that's the norm in American Anglicanism. Um, the, you know, the minority are those that were raised Episcopalians or Anglicans in most parishes. And so part of the way of dealing with that pastorally, since we are making communion the main worship um, service, is that we do allow all the baptized to receive. And then again, when it comes to, you know, children, we, we, um, we, we work that out between the parents and, and, uh, and, and the rector. Um, my girls will, will probably not be taking communion until they're, until they're confirmed. And I'll probably know they're ready when they start asking about it, you know, if that makes sense. Um, and, and if it has been that, that, you know, they're not quite ready to be confirmed, but it seems that they are ready for communion. I'll, I, you know, I'll 
I'll make an exception there. You know, one of the problems with delaying communion until confirmation is sometimes just due to whether it's the prevailing culture um, in the denomination at the time or a variety of other things going on, communion can be delayed or confirmation can be delayed well into the teenage years. Um, you know, and that's really late to, to be, to, you know, to, to not have the sacrament. Um, you know, and so that's, that's part of, part of what's going on, you know, part of, part of the reason why, um, really since, since the late 20th century, about the 1960s, 1970s, a lot of the, the Western churches have been trying to rethink kind of that order confirmation and that communion and confirmation order. Um, it's not the, it's not an ideal situation. I mean, I, I think, I think there are, there might be six year olds, seven year olds that are ready to have enough of mature faith that they could be confirmed. I mean, it, it's happened. There are also some, you know, 12, 13, 14 year olds that aren't ready to be confirmed. And so that's, that's, that's part of that too. And, and the other, the other danger with, um, you know, this, this is not, speaking against the rationale of the prayer book, because I do think there, there's an ideal here that's better. But in kind of our current times, the other danger is that confirmation becomes almost like a graduation class. You do this because you reach a certain age and you're going through these certain classes. And because you graduated from your classes, um, you're being confirmed. You know, confirmation is basically treated as graduation from Sunday school graduation from being being a, a learner in the church <laughs> and, and you know and and um I, I bet those of y'all that were raised um you know in, in Episcopal or Anglican circles it you know can attest yeah that's how that's very much how it was viewed when when y'all were young um you know and even even folks from my generation that's how you know friends I have that were Catholic, that's how they saw their confirmation. This is me graduating from Sunday school. Now I don't have to be an altar boy anymore or an altar girl. And now I don't have to uh, go to church anymore. It's terrible. You know, I mean, there's, there was an old joke that where, uh, you know, one, one bishop calls up the other bishop and says, I've got a problem with a lot of rats here in this parish. You know, there's, there's this a rodent infestation. And the other bishop says, oh, I know, I'll tell you exactly what to do. This is real easy. Just go get them all confirmed and then you won't see them ever again. You know, and that's, you know, <laughs> but, but there, there's, it's funny because there's some truth to that, the way that it's been taught. Now at our parish, because so many folks are coming from outside the tradition, most of our confirmands are adults anyway. Um, that's the way it's always been. And we, um, the first year I was there, I did, I did work specifically with, with children for, for confirmation. Um, right now, our children are pretty much all a little too, our non-confirmed children are a little bit too young for it anyway at this point. It, it had been, we had a lot of kids that were going into junior high. Most of them, shortly after they were confirmed, ended up going off in the church plant to, uh, to uh, Father Barry's church because um, they were part of the families that did. And so now, like, like almost overnight, our children population changed from being um, elementary kids that were, we needed to prepare them for junior high to um, preschool and toddlers that we needed to prepare for, for kind of growing up. 
it was it was an odd shift we had to make but but that's that's church life right there so yeah we we would typically um we would typically delay communion or historically we would delay communion until after confirmation but that is not always the way it's done nowadays okay questions comments we're going to go ahead and stop here um other than other than questions and comments and then we're going to get into the last uh, few pages of the offices of instruction which begin with uh kind of our sacramental theology Okay, yeah, so those of you all, if you see in the chat, Isaiah 11 does um, speak of, of, of those, um, of the spirit of the Lord, you know, in those terms, you know, him being the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So yeah, that's, that's, there, there's your verse, but how it gets applied is, is a question we'll look at um, next week, if I remember. So please remind me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was interesting to me to look at that verse two. It has all of them. I mean, just I think just about all of them. Yeah. Verse two. We won't be meeting next week, will we? Doesn't that conflict with Ash Wednesday? It does meet. It does conflict. Thank you. Thank you, George. Okay. Two weeks. Yes. Thank you, George. We will not meet next week. Good. Good call. Um, yeah, that is Ash Wednesday. Good call. And there will be, for those of y'all that are not able to join us in person, um, I'll probably get the Ash Wednesday morning prayer up shortly after morning prayer um, so that y'all have, have the video as well. All right, if there's nothing else, I'm going to go ahead and uh, stop the video and wish you all good night. <laughs>